Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And I'll be headed there as well. And I'll be down there tomorrow and Friday for Commodity Classic. And look forward to seeing a lot of folks from agriculture from all around the country. That's coming up tomorrow and Friday, our broadcast from Commodity Classic. Coming up today, we're going to talk taxes with Paul Niefer, CPA with Clifton Larson Allen. We're also going to talk about the ag economy today with John Newton, the chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. And also we are going to talk about the the dairy economy. It's a, another tough time for dairy producers. And uh, we're going to talk with Mike North, president of Commodities Risk Management Group, about the outlook for dairy prices for this year. So all that coming up on today's program. But we're going to start things off with our friend Todd Neely from DTN to check the news. Todd, how are you? Hi, Mike. I'm doing well. How are you? Very good. Uh, looking forward to some warmer weather in, in Orlando. I keep Absolutely. getting all these reports from people that are already there or trying to get there from around the country, so I look forward to joining them. Hey, let's talk about some things that have, yeah. are going on to watch this week in Washington, D.C. I think there are some hearings and some testimony going on that seems to have a lot of attention, but beyond that, uh, let's look at some other things like uh, the confirmation process for Andrew Wheeler as EPA Administrator. Where does that stand? Well, uh, from what we're hearing, it's gonna it's gonna take place. The final vote's gonna take place possibly this week. Um, not sure exactly when on the timing of it, but at this point, um, it does appear that he will be confirmed. It doesn't seem that along the way, um, you know, there's obviously some concerns raised uh, by Democrats in the House and the Senate and other places. Uh, but so far, what we're hearing, it doesn't seem to be much of a roadblock at this point. So. Even with the talk about some Republicans uh, not going to maybe think about holding back their votes, whether it's Ted Cruz, whoever, because the RFS, you think he'll still pass okay, get through? Yeah, it certainly does sound that way. I mean, we're hearing, uh, you know, along the way here, he's, uh, you know, he's kind of, I don't know whether he's could, you know, ease some of the concerns among some of these lawmakers or what, but at this point it doesn't sound like, um, you know, there's any, you know, emergency call here that uh, that he's not going to make it. All right. Speaking of the RFS, it looks like those requests for small refiner exemptions are, are coming in again. Right. Uh, do we have any idea about uh, what uh, EPA plans to do with them? Well, you know, Mike, we're still kind of waiting. Uh, you know, we're expecting any day possibly the rule on E15 and reforms to the RENS market. Um but honestly, at this point, it, it doesn't appear that uh, much is going to be done on that front. Um, you know, it's just kind of, it's one of these things, I think, you know, as the news cycle goes sometimes, um, you know, some things get more attention. Right now, I think people are just waiting to see uh, if and when that E15 rule is going to come out. Um, I do think that, uh, you know, what's going to probably raise a few hackles is, is the RINs reform as well. There was some talk yesterday uh, American Petroleum Institute had a had a press conference uh, releasing a white paper on on that uh, particular markets reform, and uh, they raised the, the likelihood and the possibility that reforms aren't needed and and many other things. 
Um, so I, I really think that, you know, as we go on here, we're going to hear more about uh, just E15 and, and that particular issue here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, if REN reform is not needed, then that seems to, yeah. that would remove one more obstacle towards getting E15 approved for this summer. Yeah, I think so. You know, um, a lot of the talk's been about the blend wall, but, you know, uh, one of the things that, that that's come up is that, well, you know, if, if we have this RINs reform, uh, it may be basically going after a problem that doesn't really exist. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think even the ethanol industry on this, on this particular issue has been kind of neutral in some ways. In fact, they want to separate RINs reform from E15 mm-hmm. passage. Uh, you know, in separate rules. And um, so, yeah, I, I think even, you know, in that press conference yesterday, uh, the, the study that was released even made the case that uh, refiners are recovering their costs when it comes to uh, either blending ethanol or, or having to buy the RINs uh, by passing on the price to consumers. And so this was from an API study itself, which, as you know, um, doesn't necessarily stand for much of anything that ethanol does. Um and so I, I think at this point it's becoming kind of an issue that um, is making more and more sense that EPA could separate the two in, in different rulemakings. So the petroleum industry actually made the case for the ethanol industry when it came when it comes to <laughs> to RINs, right? Absolutely, yeah. They uh, they cited many different studies that have been done, things that we've reported on in the past year or so that that kind of made that same case that. Um, you know, there really is no additional cost to refiners on RINs, as, as they state. In fact, they uh, they quite clearly said in this white paper that, uh, you know, the, the refiners are recovering those costs quite easily. Interesting. We're talking with DTN reporter yeah. Todd Neely. Todd, let's look at the uh, waters of the U.S. Uh, a hearing coming up. I believe you're going to be covering it on, on WOTUS. Right, yeah, tomorrow in Kansas City, Kansas, uh, actually – there's a hearing tonight, uh, this evening. We're actually going to come down for the morning hearing tomorrow. Uh, it's one of several public hearings coming up on, on the water rule. Um, not really sure what we're going to hear from there. I suspect we'll see a number of ag groups there represented. Uh, we've already heard that we're going to see plenty of environmentalists and con- conservationist-type groups as well. Uh, so here we go. We begin. Uh, you know, We're in a 60-day public comment period, and um, after that, it's going to go apparently to a lawsuit, I'm pretty sure. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we've heard a lot, heard a lot about uh, where sides, you know, where the sides that are taken on this rule, but it'll be uh, it'll be quite a different thing uh, here in a public hearing. This is one of those rare cases where agriculture and EPA are really on the same side. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, as much as, uh, as agriculture and ethanol had some, some real issues with the previous administrator, uh, this is one of those rules that was put together during the Scott Pruitt time at EPA that uh, agriculture was strongly behind. And um, so we're going to see, I think we're going to see quite a, quite a bit of lot wide support. Um, you know, there's still obviously uh, people on the other side that, that don't agree. But I, I think the voices in agriculture have been heard, at least on this proposed rule. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. As you said, it's it's going to wind up in the courts almost for sure. And also the House Ag Ag Committee having hearings, looking at the ag economy and concerns there. Uh, Those hearings going on as well. Yeah, we've got Robert Lighthizer on one committee today, and we've got the Secretary of Ag on another, uh, which is good. I mean, this this issue, uh, you know, we've heard a lot about, you know, the back and forth with China. But I really think that uh, if, 
if we start hearing more from from the trade people and, and from the secretary about what's going on in the industry, um, I think this will probably clarify, you know, and bring in the greater focus why some of these issues are so important to agriculture. And yeah, it's it's good to see finally. House Ag Committee Chair Colin Peterson's made it very clear that he's concerned about the ag economy and that it actually could get worse and uh, concerned whether or not yeah. the, the farm bill has enough uh, protection for farmers or not and what what may else may be needed moving forward if indeed the economy does get worse. All right, Todd, thanks a lot. Yep. Enjoy that hearing. Look forward to talking with you and seeing what uh, your thoughts are about what you see and hear at that hearing. Thanks a lot. You bet. Thank you, Mike. Take care. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Up next, some tax information. As we've been waiting for some more information from the IRS, did we get it? And what do we know about the, some changes and what are some tax tips for you? We'll talk with CPA Paul Nieper next here on AOA. The folks at NK Seeds know that the ag industry is changing, and they know you already have enough surprises to deal with. So they thought you'd like a heads up. They're building a new NK. If you're coming to Commodity Classic, be sure to visit the Syngenta booth to learn more about their reinvigorated NK corn portfolio and consistently high-yielding NK soybeans, all bred with the latest technology to help you maximize ROI. If you don't know where to look, it's easy to miss something big. Sometimes the answers to our biggest challenges are found in the most unexpected places. The clean energy solutions we need are right in front of us. Always have been. Opportunity is everywhere if you know where to look. See the world differently. Poet. We're live on the red carpet, waiting for the next generation Creden soybean. There he is. Oh, Ed, look, it's Creden's Liberty Link GT27. I know, Adna. He's got elite genetics. You gotta love his four bushel per acre yield advantage. And he's both Liberty and glyphosate herbicide tolerant. Definitely the year's hottest performer. Ask your Credenz retailer about the new Credenz Liberty Link GT27 soybeans. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Are you thinking about buying medicine online? A search for online pharmacies yields more than 20 million results. But which ones can you trust? Medicines bought from unlicensed online pharmacies can be dangerous. You may get a fake drug, your condition may get worse, or you may experience a bad reaction. Don't put your health at risk. To learn how to find an online pharmacy that's safe and legal, visit FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. It is a busy day in Washington. House Ag Committee Chair Colin Peterson saying that 
upcoming White House budget cuts worry him a lot, given the tough farm economy. And Chairman Peterson saying to Secretary Purdue, I have no doubt, though, that you're on our side. And uh, Peterson also saying that he notes that he is very concerned about where we are heading with respect to the ag economy. And some of the other comments coming out, ranking member, former chairman, Mike Conaway from Texas says, approving the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement should be a priority for every member of Congress. So just some of the comments being made at the House Ag Committee hearing going on today in Washington, D.C. Well, let's talk some tax information and get the very latest. Paul Niefer, CPA with Clifton Larson Allen, is with us. Paul, thanks for joining us. I know you've been waiting for some more information from the IRS. Have you received it? You know, as of yet, Mike, we have not received it. I'm I'm hoping we'll get it, uh, I hope, today, maybe the worst case tomorrow. But, uh, you know, uh, we just know that the typical due date for a lot of farmers to file their tax return is March 1. That is not actually a due date. All it says is that as long as farmers file and pay their tax by March 1, there's no underestimated tax penalty uh, associated with uh, delaying that payment to March 1. Because typically a farmer uh, has a special estimated tax. They only have to pay one payment. Uh, Most everybody else has to pay four payments throughout the year, but a farmer only has to pay one payment, and that's January 15th of this year for last year. Uh, so right now, uh, we're hoping to hear, and you know, there's been some chatter, uh, but nothing definite yet that the, the IRS will extend uh, the filing deadline for all farmers essentially through April 15th with no underestimated tax penalty associated with it if they didn't make a payment on January 15th. Yeah, you, many expected that announcement to have come yesterday, right? Well, we are hoping. I I did do a blog post on it on Monday. Uh, Like I say, we've heard some informal chatter that uh, we think the IRS might go this way. And this is not a special thing for the IRS to do that. They've actually done it at least three times in the past. Uh, The last time was when they had the tax extender bill back late 2012, and actually President Obama signed it, I think, January 2nd of 13. You know, the software had to be redone, so they, they granted automatic extension then. And then about five, six, seven years before that, when MF Global uh, had its fiasco and a lot of farmers had their uh, funds frozen for a while, the IRS granted relief again. And then I think back in, my memory is back in the late 1980s, I, I can't remember the exact date, uh, there was an issue with the USDA getting their uh, 1099s out, so that was another time that uh, the IRS actually granted this. So this isn't nothing, something new for them, uh, but uh, the reality is they should have been announcing this maybe even a month or two ago because uh, we still don't have tax software that knows how to calculate 199A for farmers that deal with cooperatives. Our, our, our tax software just doesn't know how to handle that. Is this still because of the government shutdown that things are running behind? I, I think that's part of it. Uh, I think part of it, too, is, is over time we know that uh, farmers are getting to be less and less of uh, the numbers out there. So the IRS really 
has uh, priorities, and I think farmers isn't as high as a priority as it might have been, you know, let's say 10 or 20 years ago. Uh, there's, there's, um, uh, yeah, it's just, I think, A, the shutdown, B, the fact it's not a priority, and, and C, uh, they're still scrambling, again, like you say, from the shutdown. You know, what might have been something that would have happened in January is now happening in February or vice versa. We're talking with CPA Paul Niefer. All right, Paul, let's go over the uh, the reminders once again. Uh, what are any changes, anything new that uh, farmers and ranchers need to keep in mind when it comes to taxes? Uh, what are some uh, tips and advice that you're giving out? Well, I think right now you've got to be very careful uh, when, you, or when you're getting any notices from cooperatives as to whether it is 199 because that grain glitch uh, change back in March of last year you know, created what we call a transition 199 uh, situation, and we also have a 199A situation. Now, that 199 and 199A is calculated exactly the same by the cooperative, but if it's 199 and most everything that a cooperative is pushing out in 2018 likely was 199, the issue with that is all those receipts that the farmer gets related to 199 they are unable to use that in calculating that new 20% uh, deduction, the QBI, the 199A deduction. So, you know, we've already seen, you know, situations where there's actually been some typos on on notices from certain cooperatives. It's indicated that it's 199 and it was really 199A or it was 199A and it was really 199. So uh, just got to be very careful uh, to, to review that with your tax advisor also, even if we don't get a notice that IRS has extended that March 1 deadline, uh, I'm telling most of my farmers if we're close and they have some issues with these calculations and so on, it, it's probably better to delay and pay the, the you know, most of my farmers the penalty at most would be 100 or $200. So uh, I, I think it's a whole lot cheaper maybe to pay that or potentially you're going to get some relief. Because what we've heard, too, on this March 1 notice, Iris may grant it, but they may not tell us until next week or the week after. So <laughs> there's a lot of hot burn out in the uh, tax preparer and farm community right now in this March 1 filing, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I always ask you this, what are some things that farmers may assume that they should not assume? Yeah, I, I think farmers should not assume with tax reform that their tax bill is necessarily going to go down. Uh, even with this new 20% deduction, certain situations we're running into where the farmer actually might owe some extra money. So just don't assume that because of the tax reform that your tax bill is going to go down. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, we'd all like to uh, see that happen, but that, that may not always be the case, right? Exactly. And then also, just be careful uh, just because bonus depreciation is now 100% and Section 179 has been increased, you know, taking advantage, full advantage of that may not be the appropriate thing. Uh, too many of our farmers go out and purchase equipment. They finance it 100% with the bank. They write it all off in year one, and then for the next four or five years, they actually have to have extra taxable income to cover that uh, that write-off that they took in the first year. So a lot of my clients, I'm telling them, 
you know, let's let's stretch out the depreciation. Let's don't take section. I mean, let's don't take bonus this year. Let's stretch out that depreciation so we can offset those payments that you're going to have over the next three to five years. So uh, uh, that's something that they definitely really need to uh, sit down with their tax accountant and, and go through that. And finally, I want always like to get your assessment on this, uh, hear your perspective. We've talked about this before, but maybe some did not hear it. Uh, the the tax cuts that were passed, that whole, all that legislation, tell us how that impacted farmers, good or bad. Yeah, overall, it impacted them good. Uh, certainly, some farmers more good than other farmers. I guess that's not great English there, but uh, uh, I, I would still give the I think when the bill first came out for farmers, I gave it a grade of a B plus. I think I dropped it to a B, uh, but a B is still pretty good. I mean, it's better than a C or D or an F. So I think overall, it's still a pretty good bill for the farmers. Certainly in 19, it's probably going to be better than it was in 18. So that's interesting. And as you said, uh, just don't assume, you know, make sure, right? Exactly, exactly. And then also after tax season or maybe after they're done planting, I think this year more than maybe some other years, sit down with your tax advisor, plan out what you're going to do for 19 and 20 and 21. Be a little bit more on that long-term planning because with this new tax law, especially if they have a fairly high estate, they got uh, you know they own a couple thousand acres of good ground in Iowa or Illinois. Uh, you know, under the old law, they potentially owed some estate tax. Under the new law, they can do a couple steps to help avoid that estate tax but if they delay or wait too long uh, they're going to lose that ability so this is the time not to sit down with your tax advisor on february 1st this is the time to sit down with them on um, june 1st or july 1st to do some good planning very good thanks for the updates and we'll wait and see if we get that extension or not paul thanks a lot now you're welcome and i will definitely post it as soon as i find out very good that's uh Paul Neifer, CPA with Clifton Larson Allen. All right, coming up next, we'll talk about the ag economy overall and look at some of the numbers and projections that came out last week from the USDA Outlook Conference. Joining us next will be the chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, John Newton, next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable 
adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, again, I know a lot of people are watching uh, a particular hearing going on in Washington, D.C. today. We're watching, actually, the uh, hearing going on before the House Ag Committee. And some comments from there. Secretary Purdue saying expect general sign-up on CRP by December 1st. Sooner than that for continuous sign-up. On dairy margin coverage, sign up to begin June 17th. Uh, Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer on the U.S.-China trade situation saying much still needs to be done, both before an agreement is reached and, more importantly, after it is reached, if one is reached. So some uh, uh, political speak there to kind of sort through everyone watching and, you know, optimistic that something's going to get done with China, but uh, Trade Ambassador Lighthizer is saying, you know, it's not done yet. Let's talk about all this with John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. John, thanks for joining us. I know that uh, you're watching all these comments coming out of the hearing today as well. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me on. Um, Let's talk about uh, the dairy situation, because we know the dairy industry is really struggling. Uh, you and I have talked about this before. There are things in this farm bill, maybe more than ever, to, to help dairy producers. Where do we stand with getting those implemented? I know USDA has tried to make dairy a priority one when it comes to farm bill implementation. That, that's right. And we're, we're going to be working with, with stakeholders around around town uh, to, to urge uh, the administration to, to try to set up some of the resources that farmers and ranchers need uh, to make some of these sign-up decisions. You mentioned the June 1st sign-up for dairy. Uh, we're going to have a lot of information available to us on what the margins were and what the DMC coverage uh, will potentially provide back to farmers and ranchers, but but they still need some educational resources. They need access to updated decision tools, and then we need timely implementation, not only of the dairy safety net provisions, but the provisions that impact all the Title I uh, covered commodities from corn and soybeans and wheat, uh, and, and now including the, the seed cotton. Secretary Purdue saying net refunds to dairy producers of MPP premiums should be available to producers in April, retroactive payments in July, according to Secretary Purdue. And, and that's the thing. I mean, farmers and ranchers, and specifically when you, when you look at dairy, uh, times are pretty tough, and so you need access uh, to those monies uh, fairly quickly. Uh, I did talk to some agricultural lenders, and, and, and their their perspective on this was we need to know how the program's going to function so that we can start to factor in uh, some of those program payments from the DMC program uh, when we're starting to think about operating loans and, and helping farmers continue to weather uh, the economic storm that they find themselves in. Well, last week, USDA's Outlook Conference was held, and We've talked about this before. It's hard to do a lot of outlook unless you know what's going to happen between the U.S. and China, right? Because that's going to impact everything. Uh, you're exactly right. I mean, we, we've seen some good gestures uh, from China and their commitments to buy uh, U.S. soybeans. 
I think there's still some uncertainty on whether that's going to be the old crop beans that that, sit, that are sitting in bins now across the country or whether that's the new crop soybeans that we're going to plant uh, here this spring. So it is a step in the right direction, but when you think about their commitments to buy now anywhere between 10 and 15 million metric tons of soybeans, that's still less than half of what they what they would normally buy uh, in a marketing year. So it's it's a step in the right direction, but we need to resolve not only on soybeans, but we need to get the market access open on pork. They're dealing with a devastating uh, African swine fever outbreak uh, in that country, and, and we've got we've got uh, you know pork producers here that love to access that market, but they have some non-tariff barriers to trade in the form of uh, all pork needs to be recopamine free. Let's have them adopt science-based practices. Uh, when it comes to trade, let's really open up that market because uh, it could be really good for U.S. agriculture. This is a time of year where the uh, guessing game takes place on acres. Uh, you know, we've had all the uh, the guessing, and it looks like they're even though soybean acres will probably be down from last year, not down as much as some had thought earlier. Uh, hearing some talk about maybe some more wheat acres. What are you expecting when it comes to acres? Well. You know, I think a lot of folks really thought that, that we'd see a sharp pullback in soybean acres going into 2019, given uh, the, the uncertainty around trade. But when you look at the markets, I mean, we're still looking at a, a new crop soybean price November 2019 in that $9.50 range. So when you look at this corn to soybean ratio, uh, the market's not signaling we need a sharp decline in soybean acres. USDA came out and said we're going to have about 85 million acres of soybeans planted. That's not a survey-based estimate. That's one of their model estimates of soybean acreage, uh, 92 million acres of, of, of corn, uh, more acres of cotton, over 14 million acres, uh, and I think I believe a slight decline in, in wheat acres um, going into 2019. Uh, again, uh, you know, the, the prospective plantings report that we're going to get at the end of March, that'll be a first survey-based estimate. Uh, but but you're exactly right. I think many people were looking for anywhere between 82 and 86 million acres of soy, and USDA pegged us at 85 this year. What what's your outlook for uh, uh, pork and beef prices this year? You know, I think again, you go back to you know USDA's ag outlook forum last week. The the, the outlook on on beef markets from you know USDA as well as uh, contacts uh, in that sector, you know, fairly optimistic. Uh, that, that 2019 will continue to be a, a good year on the beef side. Uh, beef has just been really boosted by the strong uh, U.S. economy. Uh, lower beef prices as well has helped stimulate uh, domestic consumption. I think the pork side still has uh, some challenges. Uh, you know, it's going to be a very, very competitive uh, protein case in 2019, record poultry production, record pork, record beef. Uh, and with the headwinds that pork's facing on trade, uh, really, really creates an uncertain atmosphere environment in 2019. We need to get those steel and aluminum tariffs uh, removed on Canada and Mexico as well so that we can restore that market access going forward. We're talking with the chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, John Newton. John, as we look at the ag economy, we know it's uh, many are struggling. Uh, this is another year. It looks like it's going to be uh, you know, a down ag economy. Hopefully it's going to get a boost for some of these trade issues, but we don't know how much or when. Uh, so a lot of people are, are kind of trying to look at this situation now historically, and everything usually gets compared to the 80s. And people uh, quick to point out, well, it's not the 80s because interest rates aren't as high and uh, things like that. What, what's the thing that you look at? Is it is it land values or what that if there was a big move 
to the negative side, that would be the big red flag or the, or the big warning that uh, we're in real trouble here. I think you're you're absolutely right. I mean, you look at the agricultural asset values. We've got an asset base of over three trillion dollars, and our return on that asset base uh, is pretty tight. Probably less than two percent, one percent every single year. Uh, but but going forward, you know, with commodity prices where they are, uh, that runway starting to get pretty short. How much longer we can withstand those low commodity prices with interest rates continuing to climb? Uh, you know, we could see some some pressure on on land values and asset values uh, going forward, and that would certainly be uh, a warning sign. I think one of the things that, uh, in talking to a lot of folks, you, you think about how how strong the U.S. economy has been and how that's helped farmers and ranchers uh, service some of that debt. And it's it's really been the off farm income, uh, maybe two people off farm income that's helped farmers and ranchers weather this prolonged downturn in the farm economy. Uh, but we need to see some higher prices. I think USDA is projected for some uh, sectors to see higher prices and slightly higher uh, opportunity for higher farm income in 2019 if we have anything uh, average or above average yields with where the prices USDA has on. Have you been surprised that uh, land values have held as well as they have with the uh, downturn in the ag economy lasting this long? You know, not really. I think one of the things to keep in mind when you think about where land values are is, is every time a, a piece of ground uh, comes up for sale, there's always somebody there to, to get it. The, the turnover level on agricultural land is, is very, very low. Uh, and so with, with a low turnover ratio and, and pretty high demand, I think that's that's helped support agricultural land values. The, the interesting uh, thing to watch over the next, you know, five to ten years is going to be uh, – we're coming out of a historically low interest rate environment, so other assets uh, likely uh, will perform very, very well. So looking at the value of land, the capitalized value of land, is something to closely monitor as we move forward and, and what the implications may be uh, potentially for weaker land prices moving forward. We hear stories about farmers uh, having trouble getting credit or credit extended. Uh, so every situation we know is different. But some headlines have been out there talking about bankruptcy, farm bankruptcies being on the, on the rise. And others have pointed out that if you look at the overall numbers, it's still uh, not as bad as some of those headlines would uh, indicate. H- how do you assess that situation? Well, uh, there have been some headlines. And, and yesterday, Fed Chairman Powell was, was asked that very question about farm bankruptcies and whether uh, the current economic situation uh, with tariffs and as well as uh, with the downturn of farm economies contributing to the bankruptcy uh, levels that we've seen. The fact is, in, in parts of dairy country, Wisconsin saw nearly 50 bankruptcies in 18. Uh, that's their highest in over a decade. When you aggregate those Midwest states, they had 223 bankruptcies in, in 2018. That's the highest it's been there uh, in over a decade. It's nowhere near where we were in the 80s when we had you know, over 5,000 bankruptcies for several years in a row. Uh, but it, it is an alarming trend. I think there are some efforts to try to pr- provide some relief uh, for folks uh, using the Chapter 12 bankruptcy. I know that Grassley had had a bill out there uh, to raise the debt limit from uh, around 3.2 to 4.2 million up to 10. Uh, that provide an opportunity for more folks to utilize the flexible Chapter 12 bankruptcy option. John, as always, thanks for being with us. Appreciate your time and your perspective. Hopefully uh, sometime soon we'll be able to talk about uh, a better situation, better numbers when it comes to the ag economy. Thanks for your, for your time today. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Mike.
Take care. John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. So the overall ag economy is certainly um, going through a difficult time, especially the dairy industry, really struggling right now. We're going to get some assessment of where we're headed with dairy prices. Mike North, President of Commodities Risk Management Group, will join us next. Stay with us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Powerful, effective, proven, tough, consistent, reliable. A lot of adjectives can describe a herbicide's weed control, but one only applies to Liberty Herbicide. Superior. Liberty Herbicide has no known resistance in row crops, more convenient application flexibility, and excellent control of key weeds, all backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Learn more at liberty.basf.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811 brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. The folks at NK Seeds know that the ag industry is changing, and they know you already have enough surprises to deal with. So they thought you'd like a heads up. They're building a coming to Commodity Classic. Be sure to visit the Syngenta booth to learn more NK corn portfolio and consistently high-yielding NK soybeans all bred with the latest technology to help you maximize ROI. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. 
They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction. Plus, the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90. I would have followed a treatment plan. I would not. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I just tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Information America's Farmers and Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, as we've been mentioning, this is an especially tough time again for dairy producers. Let's talk about that with Mike North, president of Commodities Risk Management Group. Mike, thanks for joining us. Any bright spots uh, for dairy producers in that uh, dairy price outlook? Quite a few, actually. The reality is that uh, Class 4 markets, which are largely influenced by uh, non-fat dry milk and butter prices, uh, have a very strong outlook. World prices have been uh, very firm in the uh, uh, wake of a um, diminished European intervention stock. Uh, that had hung over the market's head for about two and a half years and really got whittled down hard in Q4 of last year. Uh, that has brought buyers back to the market. You've watched as U.S. prices have come from 80 cents back up to a dollar on powder. Cheese, excuse me, butter is held right in that uh, 225 range and really found some good support there. Uh, and especially as we, you know, warm up to the Easter season, uh, that bid on butter usually is uh, relatively firm. So we're seeing some good stuff on Class 4. Um, class 3 is really kind of the weak link, but in terms of bright spots there, we've seen a little rally of late in cheese price. Barrels have gone up to $1.41 off of that sub-20, excuse me, sub-120 price that we had just uh, – 
2009. And uh, blocks really have kind of allowed that to happen. They led the charge higher, moved back to $1.61 yesterday after having uh, uh, kind of flattened out at about $1.59 and a half. So been seeing some good uh, movement there. Um, last three market that this move looks to be uh, fairly hollow uh, and likely will be short-lived, at least for the time being. Well, so at least there is some uh, some uh, optimism there, but is it going to be enough, and is it going to be soon enough for some producers? That's the big question. Well, I mean, the reality is, is we trade markets out in the future, right? That's why they're called futures markets. Uh, can that come fast enough? Well, uh, it, generally, it never comes fast enough, and that and that and that that's true uh, of a market that's moving higher. And it, it, you know, it. it uh, you know, it's also equally true in a market that's going lower. The 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 influence of product on on price takes some time to fully work its way back in and cause change in milk price. So, as we talk about the road back higher, no, it won't come fast enough. I can I can assure you, um, some people will uh, you know uh, have to you know continue to live through the pain of a low February market, which is you know still. Uh, you know that that fourteen dollar price point. The uh, the uh, the March though um, is going to be a little bit better than where the February was. Um, right now, if we run products through the formula, uh, it brings us back to a price of about fourteen dollars and seventy cents. That um, that being the case. That's a seventy cent improvement, eighty cent improvement over over the uh, the February market, um, and so as we look forward, there's been a step back higher. Uh, is it going to you know is it going to be the kind of price everybody wants to see? No, but it is an improvement nonetheless. Mike, there are several programs in the Farm Bill to help uh, dairy producers. USDA trying to get those implemented. Uh, what's your assessment of those programs and how much of an impact they can have? So the old MPP program has been newly named the DMC, uh, and uh, that that program, I believe, uh, dairy margin coverage, that is, uh, has a lot of merit for dairymen. Uh, we've encouraged all of our clients to sign up for that as it becomes available at the FSA. Uh, they are still working through getting all of the, you know, programming and, you know, all the, the language written to accommodate that program. Uh, that obviously was slowed down by the uh, government shutdown. But uh, bottom line is uh, that's a program guys should look at. And there you have a two-tiered pricing mechanism like it was offered in MPP. Uh, the first $5 million, uh, is covered at a highly subsidized uh, premium rate. The second, or excuse me, any production above $5 million then comes at a uh, lesser subsidized, thus higher cost premium rate to the producer. But uh, they raised the coverage. The, the max before was an $8 uh, per hundredweight margin. Now that has been elevated to $9.50. And the premium cost to get that is a, a fourth of what the old $8 margin uh, would cost the dairy. So there's tremendous opportunity in that program. Uh, but it is still written on the old formula, which we have been very um, uh, scrutinizing of and uh, uh, 
that being the case, we are not uh, looking at this as a, a quote-unquote marketing plan, but it is a good program to be involved in, especially on the first 5 million pounds. So we've been encouraging guys to look at that. And you get a discount if you sign up for all five years on the premium cost of 25%. So uh, they've gone even further to make that affordable. So uh, we we really like um, uh, that opportunity and, and encourage guys to look at that. Uh, obviously, the other the other piece, and we've seen some chatter about this of late. Uh, the government has opened some pathways for uh, uh, purchase of product and for different groups to uh, you know donate product uh, into different spaces and uh, to receive credit for that. Uh, that is certainly very helpful. Uh, we want to try to continue to uh, grow demand for product, and that uh, that's that's been a really helpful program as well. And already have seen some traction on that. And then the, the last piece, which really didn't come about by way of the farm bill, but the dairy revenue protection, a tool that was put forward last October, uh, something that we offer in our in our office here uh, to producers around the country country, but uh, another way to look at risk management, and uh, we've been encouraging guys to take a look at that as well. And hopefully there'll be some uh, some help coming and some trade deals uh, that we're, we're watching closely and hope will come to fruition. We'll see what's there for dairy as well. John is always, John, I should have said Mike. I was just talking with John a while ago. Mike, thanks as always uh, for your perspective on this, and we'll look forward to talking with you again. Thanks, Mike. You bet. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Mike North, you would think I'd get his first name right, wouldn't you? Mike North, President, Commodities Risk Management Group. All right, I am off to Orlando for Commodity Classic. Be broadcasting there tomorrow and Friday. Hope you'll join us here on AOA.